Welcome to the Brentwood Church Audio Podcast. As always, you can jump on over to brentwoodchurch.org or your favorite social outlet where you can find Brentwood Church and see what God is doing in this community. Now let's take a listen to this week's teaching. Week two, the final week of Creepy. Okay, let's jump right in. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 5, and you can follow on the screens, okay? They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, Jesus gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Okay, if you're a normal person in this room, that should disturb you. Like if you, when you read that, you should think that is not normal. That's not something you see as you drive home on 501 from work or or from school. Okay, that that is not normal. And especially if you're not a Christian. Like if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, like the idea of Jesus being the Son of God, like that's creepy enough. But now we're going to pull out the story about demons going into pigs and pigs jumping off of cliffs. Like seriously, where we're going there. And, And on a side note, why pigs? Like, why couldn't Jesus have cast the demons out into cats, okay? At least, like, pigs give us bacon, okay? Can you picture, like, a thousand cats, like, jumping off of a cliff? Like, the world would be a better place. Just, (laughs) yeah, exactly, that was good. All right, and look, I don't hate cats. I just think they're useless. They have no point, and I would never hurt a cat on purpose, Um. I will stop before I get myself in trouble. Look, if, if you're a cat lover here and, like, you have a ton of cats, I'm sorry. If you want to email me and tell me how great they are, uh, you can email kevin at brentwoodchurch.org. That's K-E-V-I-N at brentwoodchurch.org. So, um, anyways, back to the point. So, how many times do we read something in Scripture like that and then stop to actually think, man, like, what's happening here? Like, it's hard to understand. It's not natural or normal what we read just then and don't get me wrong i believe scripture is the word of god i believe what it said happened happened just as it said but it's difficult sometimes for this southern baptist raised guy the southern baptist educated both in my undergrad and graduate work to come to grips with something like spiritual warfare and like pastor john said last week you a lot of us in this room are on either extreme of the spectrum when it comes to spiritual warfare either we're over here and we think that every time our car doesn't start it was a demon who unplugged our car battery making us late to work okay 
Try that on your boss next time. It was the demon. Are you unplug the car, okay? Or we're on the other side of the spectrum where we, we, we live in ignorance or we try to purposely downplay this idea of spiritual warfare. We just like, hey, man, if I just stick my, my head in the sand and forget it and don't deal with it, then it's just going to go away. And, and both, both are, have its negativity or, or negative aspects. And so if we can, can agree that, okay, there's, there's something that, that is going on there. Scripture clearly points to this, the spiritual realm and, and this battle that goes on, then we, we need to look to Scripture specifically to find out what is it says, and specifically, how do we stand against it? Okay, if, if this is true, then how do we stand up against, how do we fight against those forces, those things that we, we've been reading about over these past two weeks? Okay, so let's, let's jump in. Ephesians chapter 6, we started this last week. Um, we'll start reading in verse 10 of chapter 6. Here's what Ephesians says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And this is just going to be a quick review. Last week we said it is by God's power, not our own, that we're able to stand against this. And, and so Paul makes a reference really clearly off the bat that it's, it's be strong in the Lord, be strong in God, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then verse 12 was a big point for a lot of you when we read this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Those are the two points from last week. Okay, so be strong in the Lord, in God. Our, our, our fight is not against each other, flesh and blood. Okay, there's something more going on. There's something deeper. It's, it's more than that. So now that we can acknowledge together that there is something there, Let's look specifically. We'll keep on reading in Ephesians 6. It's like, okay, how do we stand against it? We know it's there, and, and maybe not always clear on when it is and when it isn't, but we know it's there, so how do we stand against it? So he goes on, verse 13. Therefore, so he addresses, okay, it's here. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, Stand firm then. And he starts going through with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, armor of God. Unfortunately, when... When we talk about the armor of God, some of you are still stuck back into Sunday school land, right? When we, when we mention the armor of God, for those that maybe grew up in the church, you, your mind immediately goes back to the Sunday school room with the teacher, and, and they had you put on the different pieces of armor, you know, you, you dressed up, and you, hey, this is this piece of armor, and this is this piece of armor, and, uh, and it was really cute. Or, or you go back to the days of the felt board with the figure that last week was Jesus, but this week it's actually a different man, and you put the different pieces of armor on the felt piece, okay? Uh, and the, the issue is, like, those are great resources and great tools to teach God's truth to kids on their level. But the problem is that your understanding and application of the armor of God has not graduated with you. It hasn't grown with you. Your understanding and application of what is being mentioned here in Ephesians 6, you've left back in the Sunday school. To, to only think of these pieces of armor, but you're like, I don't know what that means for me. Like, how many would, of you would be honest with yourself when it says, when it comes to the armor of God, like, yeah, I can name them. Oh, yeah, belt of truth, 
tell them their salvation. But when it comes to actually affecting how you live in your daily life, you'd be like, mm, I'm still back in the Sunday school land. So that's what we're going to look at together, each of the pieces of armor. And I think we're going to find something pretty fascinating, yet simple. All right, first of all, belt of truth. Belt of truth. And he, he starts right off the bat and says truth. Whose truth? Well, God's truth. We, we've been talking a lot about the fact that the devil's scheme, what, what it looks like a lot of times is feeding us lies and doubts about ourselves, about God and who he is. And so right off the bat, he, he says, you've got to have the belt of truth, meaning you've got to know what truth is. And, and not your own truth. He, basically, there needs to be a, a benchmark or some sort of standard of truth that is above your own understanding and comprehension. Like, not your own truth, not how you, you feel or what you think is right, because so many times that's misleading. But Paul would say, you have to be able to look to someone for the truth that is, is unshakable. It's not changed or, or affected by anything else going on. And so he says, if you want to stand against evil and attack, you've got to know the truth that is able to keep you grounded. Truth about yourself. Okay, who are you? Truth about who God is. About hope and salvation. Truth about your own sin. Because the devil wants to say, okay, are you sure about that? Are you, are you sure he meant, I mean, this started all the way back in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Are you sure he said that? Are you sure he meant that? And Paul would say, no, you've got to know what the truth is. That's going to keep you grounded. The belt of truth. Uh, the, the application from last week. Let's see if you guys were listening. All right, I'm going to do the hand motions. Maybe that helps. He said, stop, take it captive, and then what? Say it, Chris. Apply the truth. There you go. Thanks, man. I saw you doing the hand motions. So that, that's what he said. And all week I've been playing that like motions in my head. Stop, take it captive, and then apply the truth. When we come across those lies or those fears or doubts, it's like, hey, stop. Take that thought or, or that action or that word that you're about to say, take it captive, and then what is the truth? What does God say about this certain situation, about this certain thing, and, and then go with it, and then apply it. Okay, next, breastplate of righteousness. Now, this is so important. A lot of times when we are attacked in, in the area of spiritual warfare, it comes in the form of guilt and embarrassment. It's when uh, Satan reminds us of, of kind of our history and our past, areas that we've, we've fallen short, areas that we've messed up, that we've disappointed, um, that we've just kind of screwed up our lives. And, and when he says the, the breastplate of righteousness, what he's not saying is that we combat it or fight evil with doing right, with like, hey, I'm just going to do good, and I'm going to do right, and those are going to be like my punches. He's like, no, no, no. When he's talking about righteousness, he means the righteousness that's given to us from God through Jesus. So what he's saying is that when it comes to righteousness, when you're attacked with that guilt or that shame or that embarrassment, that any believer, any Christian should be able to in that moment stop and say, no, no, no. When God looks at me, he doesn't look at my failure and, and uh, my disappointment and my sin. He looks at me through Jesus. And because of that, I've been declared righteous. Like you can rest in that. Oh, man, you're talking about confidence talking about peace and love towards God, when you could say, it doesn't matter. Like, yes, like I'm sinful. Yes, I, I, I mess up. But 
the worst thing we could do is to try to say, man, if I'm just good enough, if I just lived up to this certain standard to gain God's love and approval, then I would be all right, which is a lie. And so Paul says, okay, no, 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 righteousness that comes from God can't earn it, given to you through Jesus. He says, that's righteousness. I, I love working with students. I love my job. Literally, most mornings when I wake up, I, I'm pumped about working with students. But one of the biggest lies that students believe, middle and high school students specifically, is that somehow that they can please God by being better than the person next to them. Like they look around at their classmates and people, and it's like, man, if I, as long as I don't do drugs like this guy, like maybe I can earn God's love and affection. Like if I didn't, just, if I didn't treat my body like this girl, maybe somehow I can, can gain God's approval and his love. And it's a dangerous lie. And I was actually thinking about this, and part of it is, is my fault. Because as I teach students, a lot of my teaching deals with, okay, here's how we are to be better Christians, and here's how we're to live more holy lives. And even in our small group discussions, a lot of it's practical ways in which we can, you know, better ourselves and, and do things better, more godly. And so uh, at our last leadership meeting with all of the Collide leaders, we, we had to remind ourselves that the truth is our righteousness, like our standing before God, we didn't earn. Like it was Jesus who did it for us. And, and so any pursuit of holiness, any pursuit of doing good is out of a response from what God has already done for us, for what Jesus did for us. Not like obligation, not out of a fear to live up to some sort of standard, but literally in a response of love and appreciation, of sacrifice and surrender to what God has already done for us. And like... We, 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 we came to grips as leaders that we got to keep hammering that home with our students. Like, even though we're striving for them to be more pure, we're striving for them to, to like, less gossip and, and all these things, it's like, wait, but your righteousness comes from God, from Jesus, and you respond by living holy. So, breastplate of righteousness. Next, the gospel of peace. So why does... Paul described the gospel as one specifically of peace. Why didn't he just say gospel? Well, it's because it is of peace. In fact, the gospel in, in its essence is reestablishing this um, disconnected relationship between us and God. There was once peace and unity between us and God, and then sin came in and then just messed all that up. And so when he says the gospel peace, he really means that the gospel restores that. It, it helps us to be back into right relationship with God, therefore giving us this like unimaginable peace. I mean, can you imagine, think through the fact that we're able to be in right relationship with our creator, whereas before we weren't, but now we are. And it's like, okay, that's peace. I mean, that's confidence. And he says you've got to remind yourself of that. Remind yourself of the peace that you have because you've been reestablished in relationship with God, the gospel of peace. And it, and it doesn't say peace in the absence of struggle and attack and pain. In fact, the exact phrase he uses is the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And so he says, be ready, like it's going to come. And so when you are present or presented with conflict and struggle and attack, you're able to stand firm and stable, not shifting because of the gospel which gives you righteousness, which is truth. And so you can start to see 
that in, in Ephesians 6, he's building this picture. And, and they, they're all connected. All these pieces of armor are, are connecting and building off of one another and pointing us to a single truth. Let's keep going. Shield of faith. Okay, so, so faith. He says, you have to have the shield of faith. What does that have to do with, with the armor of God and with these other things he's talking about? Well, it's faith that allows us to believe that Jesus was who he said he was and did what he said he did. It's faith. It's, it's believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he did die, and that he did rise from the dead. It's faith. And it's faith to, to believe that uh, no matter what, even when we have those seasons of, of doubt and insecurity and uncertainty, we can reclaim and re-remember that day, whether it was 10 years ago or 10 weeks ago, where we placed our faith for the first time in Jesus. And we can remember back just the, the peace and the confidence and the assurance that we had in that moment. So yes, my faith is in Jesus. Someone who is stronger than me, who's able to stand against anything. I mean, you look at Jesus in Scripture. Man, when he was attacked, when he was specifically attacked by Satan with temptation in, in the desert, man, he... He, he stood strong. And so that's who our faith is in. So we're able to kind of rely and lean on that, the shield of faith. And without faith, none of the other armor is, is possible. Without faith, none of that other stuff is true for us individually. The helmet of salvation. So he says the helmet of salvation. This is important because this is the assurance that our salvation, like no spiritual attack or force can take it away. Like as much as we, we may doubt or fear in the midst of battle, it's like, man, where do I stand before God? Like, you know, no matter what, we have an assurance that, man, I, I'm like I'm saved. Like I place my faith in Jesus, and because of that, like no one can take me from the Father's hand. Like I'm I'm good. Like I'm good. Like yeah, there's things I can work on, but man, my salvation, it's sure, and I can have confidence and boldness in that. No one can take me from the Father's hand. I'll, our salvation is sure. And then finally, he says the sword of the Spirit or the Word of God. And, and many times in Scripture, uh, the Word of God is, is likened to a sword. It's not just here. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than two, any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joint tomorrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so the word of God, the, the living words of God that contains the truth, the truth that we're able to stand on. And so the question is, like, I, I feel like if, if he did, if Paul did like a, a commentary on this, he ends with, with the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, he would ask, do you know the word of God? Like in those moments when you're attacked, when, when you feel the, the questions, the doubt, and the insecurities, the shame, the guilt, and, and all the other stuff. It's like, man, do you know the word of God to draw on? If that is where we are able to, to know and, and see the truth, and if it is a, a double-edged sword that can like, pierce our hearts and our minds and just kind of get in there and do its work, like, do you know it? That's why the greatest thing that I can give my students, the students that come here on a Wednesday night, on a Sunday morning, by the time they graduate in 12th grade, the best thing I could give for them is a love and appreciation for God's word. 
because it is God's word that will be able to point them to truth, to Jesus. Coupled with God's spirit, man, it's gonna, it will keep them firm. You know, when they go off to college or when they start to work and, and these, these things start to come up, these questions and these attacks, they're able to stand firm and say, no, 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 no. I know what truth is. I know the confidence. I know the peace that I have because of the gospel. I know the assurance and the, 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 the confidence I have because my salvation is, is secure in what Jesus did. I know the righteousness that I have that I don't have to earn because of Jesus. And so all, the, all of these things, we see that Paul is trying to communicate um, all these different pieces of armor to one simple yet profound truth. And here's, here's the, the thing. As I was reading through the armor of God, I'm like, there's got to be more here. Like, part of me wanted to have this, like, profound, like, I was going to say this, this sentence, and you guys were all going to be like, oh, that was amazing. But I kept going back to, I think all of these are pieces of this big picture, and it's this. Our greatest weapon in spiritual warfare is the gospel. And, and I felt like if, if we were honest and we read those and we looked at all those aspects of, of righteousness and, and the gospel of peace and truth and salvation, like all of these, it's like, well, they're all pieces. They're all aspects of the gospel. And so when it comes to spiritual warfare, when it comes to standing our ground against attacks, whatever they look like, the gospel is our greatest weapon. So let me show you what this looks like. And I don't believe in coincidence. And, um, and so yesterday, and I got permission to share this from my wife. We were uh, getting ready to go to bed, just right in between that like unconsciousness, but I was still kind of awake. And I remember, I was like, hey, honey, do you mind if I share this story? Because um, yesterday, we just had one of those days as a married couple where we just weren't communicating well. It was just bad. And, and we had these expectations about the day that weren't met. Like, I, I expected one thing from the day, and Casey expected another thing from the day, and it just wasn't jiving. And we got in a fight. And this wasn't a fight like 15 minutes and then it's done. I mean, this was just, and it wasn't like yelling. It was just, and it was little things, and we just weren't on the same page. It was not good. Like, just being in the same room, honestly, just made me feel like, oh, what's going on here? And, and we were both in the wrong. Both of us had done things, said things that probably were not good. And part of me, like, knew in my mind that as, as the man, that I should probably take the first step of kind of, like, humility, asking for forgiveness, all that sappy stuff. And, um, but I was like, okay, as the man, I should probably take this. But I'll be honest, my flesh was like, heck no. No, like, she said this, and, and I... And I know that she really meant this, and she was trying to undermine, like, my leadership and all that. Like, and I'm thinking through this, and then I stopped. It's one of those where, you know, like, God's spirit that lives inside of it, like, really speaking to me. And, he, and I, I remembered back on studying for this morning, and I was like, I wonder if the gospel will actually work in this situation. Like, I, I said that to myself. I wonder if the gospel will, will actually work in this situation between my wife and I. And we're just not on the same page, and it's just icky. And so I started to think through, okay, Jesus uh, humbled himself. Although he was God, he did not, you know, uh, hold that above my head. Like, he, he humbled himself, he sacrificed himself, even though I, I, I literally would have just spat in his face and, and crucified him. He went to the cross, and he died for me. He took the first step towards me. 
He's been wooing me and, and kind of, okay, Brett, like, come to me. Like, this is for you. And all I had to do was just have faith in what he did and, and surrender and ask for forgiveness. And, okay, okay. And so I thought, man, that's what the gospel is calling me to do. Like, I, I, I shouldn't wait for her. I shouldn't wait for her to do, like, Jesus came down out of heaven and took the initiation, the first step to right the relationship between me and God. So I had a responsibility because of the gospel to take the first step, to, to ignore the fact that, okay, maybe she was in the wrong in certain places, to ignore the fact that my own feelings were hurt, you know, which I know as guys we don't like to admit that, but my feelings were hurt, and, uh, and to take the first step and to say, Casey, like, I'm sorry. Like, I said this. Here's why. It was wrong. I'm sorry. And it wasn't magic. Like, we didn't, like, run across the room and give each other a big hug and kiss. And, like, I mean, it took some conversations and some working through it, but, but that was the beginning. It, it was the gospel. It was reminding myself of what Jesus has done and my responsibility in my own relationships. And I don't know if that was, like, spiritual warfare. Like, I'm not here saying that specifically, like, Satan's demons were trying to attack us. But I do know that if there's one thing Satan would love to destroy, it's the family. Like Jesus over and over likens himself and his relationship to the church as husband and wife. And if there's, if there's one thing that he would want to really screw up in our minds as a culture, it would be the family. And so whether you think that's spiritual warfare or not, like in that moment, I had a responsibility to, to get our relationship back on track. And it was the gospel that helped me take that step. Helped me take that step. And so it worked. It was awesome. And, and this morning we woke up and we love each other and, uh, and we're good to go, okay? So I, I know some of you are worried. I think that some of you in this room are, are so caught up with the imagery of, of armor that you've lost perspective of the simple yet profound message that he's trying to communicate concerning the gospel. I think that some of you are actually, and this, I'm talking to, to Christians, to believers, have been enslaved or basically rendered ineffective in your life because you've forgotten the gospel. You've forgotten it. Not that you don't believe it. Not that you've lost your salvation. But you, you have not in X amount of years reminded yourself, taken time to repeat to yourself, to reteach yourself what the gospel means for your life. And because of that, how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to talk and how you're supposed to think. You've been rendered ineffective because you have forgotten the gospel for your life. When attacked by the enemy, when the world around us seems to be crumbling, when we start to doubt and believe the lies that are fed to us, we, our immediate response is to revisit, to reclaim, allow the truth of the gospel to kind of wash us over, to give us that peace and that confidence, that assurance that we can stand against. When I was in high school, uh, I got to go to Bangkok, Thailand, and I had no clue what to expect on that plane ride. That, I mean, we were on the plane for like a full day. Like, it was, it was horrible. And when we got there and we walked the streets of, of Bangkok, Thailand, like there was, uh, it was something that I couldn't as a high schooler articulate or put words to, but there was this darkness I felt as we walked. I mean, yeah, it looked different, and yeah, it smelled horrible like for me I just the smell was woof but there was some darkness and there's some people that I respect greatly who would say that if Satan had like a, a home base it would be Bangkok just because of the evil and 
uh, man, it's just a lot of dark stuff there. And so we went to one day this temple. Um, it was a temple of the Emerald Buddha, all right? And um, I don't know if you know what Buddha is, but it's a statue. It's this guy, and he's got this belly. And, and um, so we, we go into this temple, and it is, uh, man, covered in gold. I mean, it was magnificent. I remember walking in, uh, losing the sense of that I was actually in a temple, and just like, man, that, that was gold, and that was jewels. And I was like, man, if I just took that, I'd be rich. <laughs> and, uh, and then I asked for forgiveness, and that was good. But, but in, in, the, in the middle of it was this emerald Buddha. And I expected, I expected this huge statue, big, but it was just this small like, statue sitting up there that seemed to be almost engulfed by all the other gold and, and stuff. And uh, in that moment, I looked around as we passed through, and I saw just the, the people kneeling down and, and praying to and worshiping the statue. And, and this, this, this feeling stronger came where it's like, man, there's just some darkness and evil and oppression in this room, some, some intense lies that are being believed by these people. And all I knew to do as a high school senior was to fall on my knees and pray. And I remember praying specifically something to the extent of, God, thank you that you're more powerful and that you're alive and, and that you even made the, the materials that was used to make that statue. Like, you're God. And I remember, God, thank you that even when all of this, this building would eventually become rubble, the ground that people would walk on, you would still be on your throne, reigning victorious. I was like, oh, yeah, thank you. And in, in that moment, I repeated the gospel. And I don't know why. There's nothing, like, I didn't, I didn't think, you know, ahead to this message and, you know, I, like, there was no back to the future thing going on. Like, but in that moment, I had this crazy confidence and assurance, even in the midst of being in a foreign country across the world and being surrounded by people that were worshiping this statue, because I reminded myself, okay, God, like, your son Jesus, like, he died for me, but he's alive now. Like, I'm saved. I have a relationship with you. You're living in me. Your spirit lives in me. And I, I remember like feeling this boldness and peace that no insecure high school student should have in that moment. It was because I remind myself of the gospel. And then my heart and my mind began to shift. And I began to look at the people, knelt down, and I began to pray for them. Because that was the only thing I knew how to do. My, my heart and, and, uh, was breaking. I felt this angst and this desire for them to not believe the lie to not think that they had to, you know, they would open their purse and put it next to this statue because they wanted blessing and favor. And I, I just wanted to tell them, like, no, you don't have to earn anything. You don't have to do certain physical things and say magic words to make this happen. Like, God wants to have a relationship with you. There is truth here. I just was praying. That's all I knew how to do. Fast forward to today. There are still times where I am so insecure, where I I doubt, I begin to believe the lies that are being fed. And I have to remind myself, I have to reteach myself what the gospel is and the truth, the the peace that it gives me, the confidence. And, And I don't always succeed in that. And just like that day in the temple of the Emerald Buddha, like today my heart 
just has this angst and this desire to see people, maybe in this room that have never taken that initial step of faith, to do that. Because I can't imagine facing this world in the pressures and the attacks and the persecution without knowing that you have something solid to stand on, without knowing that your relationship with your creator is good, not because of something you did, because of what Jesus did. Man, that's, that is my desire. And so I, I'm inviting people, I, I'm praying for people here that maybe have never taken that step to say, okay, I, I'm going to place my faith in this truth and that because of that, I'm going to get righteousness that only comes from Jesus. And because of that, I'm going to have peace. Because of that, I'm going to have the assurance that my salvation cannot be taken away no matter what attack. And I'm going to know that that's truth. Truth that I can stand on. That I can have confidence in. That can carry me through any attack that may come my way. Or maybe you're just uh, you're here this morning. You're a Christian. I mean, you're like, as I'm saying this, you're like, yes, amen. Maybe you've forgotten. Maybe this morning your worship looks like you just reminding yourself. I mean, to yourself, like, even if you have to say it out loud, like, what is the gospel? Where in your life have you not been operating out of a response to what Jesus has done? So maybe your only act of worship is just repeating to yourself, my God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for taking the initial step towards me, for giving me your righteousness that I don't have to deserve. And you know what would be awesome? If you do that, a great way is for you to take communion up front. We have the two stations. What better way to be reminded? What better way to say, God, thank you for the body and the blood that was broken and bled for me. And you take communion. Or maybe you need to take that, that thing, that lie, that insecurity or doubt that you've been carrying, that you've been believing about yourself to the cross and just say, hey, because of the gospel, this is not true. Even though I feel like it or, or logic tells me, it's like, man, this is not true because of Jesus. You just lay it at the cross. Or maybe you have that burden for that person, family member, friend, acquaintance, that you're like, man, they, they're on shaky ground. Everywhere they turn, they're encountering something, and they've never placed their faith in you, Jesus. Maybe you just light a candle as a physical way, a symbol to say, I'm going to pursue them, and I'm going to pray for them that they would accept the gospel. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. So listen to this. Are you a female who is believing that your only self-worth is in your ability to attract men and gain attention by your looks? It's time to start believing the truth that you were made in the image of God and because of that are worth far more than anything. You're a child of God. Are you a college student running yourself ragged, serving at this place and serving this ministry and attending five services, church services a week, all with this underlying uh, goal to try to live up to some sort of standard, to try to be good enough to gain God's love and approval? It's time to start believing that because of Jesus' death and resurrection and your belief in him that you have been declared righteous, end of story, period. Are you Mr. or Mrs. Career, trying to cope with the stresses and pressure of the corporate world while maintaining some sort of home life? 
It's time to remind yourself of the gospel that brings unimaginable peace because you're able to be in relationship with a powerful, loving, holy, and gracious God. Are you encountering what seems to be an overwhelming task or challenge and you doubt that you'll make it through alive? It's time to start reminding yourself of that faith that you once placed in Jesus and the same power that raised him from the dead also lives inside of you and me. Are you crippled with the uncertainty of the future? You don't know what's coming next. It's time for you to take confidence that salvation is the one thing that cannot be taken away. It's the one thing that is certain. No one can take you from the Father's hand. Or are you simply being attacked around every corner and you can't take it anymore? It's time to take up the word of God, your sword, and claim the truth that covers the pages from beginning to end. Our greatest weapon in spiritual warfare is the gospel. End of story. It is the power and the truth of the gospel that gives us victory when any creepy thing comes our way. Father, you are so good. And this morning, it is my desire above everything else that your gospel message would be made clear to the people in this room, to every one of us. We all need it. Whether it's for the first time we take that initial step of faith or, or it's we've been acting out of our old habits in our own ways and we need to be reminded of what it means to us. Father, whatever lie or attack or doubt or guilt or embarrassment we've been carrying around, may you you remind us of the truth. May, May your spirit lead us back to Jesus and the truth of the gospel. Because it is there. It is only there that we have a hope, we have a peace, that literally cannot be taken away. It doesn't matter. Man, what confidence and boldness we get in that truth. So Father, may your spirit move in our hearts and our minds. May your word pierce the depths of our souls. And may we respond in obedience to how you're leading us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.